My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 57 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast, sponsored by Jason Kyo Therapy Sports and Injury Clinic. everybody in this week's show we check in with running coach Ireland head coach Rene Borg on how to manage the racing transition period from summer to autumn and winter and we talk to Luke Grenfellshaw on his 30,000 kilometer cycle around the world winning the 80k in Eco Trail Wicklow and doing both those things after surviving terminal 4 cancer what a legend everybody get your running gear on let's go Hey guys, I hope you are all well and before we start the show today, our thoughts and prayers at the Trail Running Ireland podcast are with all of our friends from Donegal and anyone affected by the tragic news in Creaselock, Donegal this weekend. May they rest in peace. Happier news is just coming through from Italy that Zach Hanna at the Mountain Running World Cup final has held off the challenge of Eritrea's Petru Mamu to claim third place overall in this season's World Cup in a spectacular race at the Chiavenna Lagunque Vertical Kilometre in Italy where Zach has finished fifth overall this morning Saturday the 8th of October. Just for those that mightn't be up to speed on what the World Cup is, as there are quite a few circuits out there in the trail and mental running world at the moment, the World Cup is organised by World Athletics and the International Mental Running Association and is a Grand Prix circuit of races where races fall into one of three categories, the short uphill, classic mountain or the long mountain. So as well as the overall World Cup standings, which are calculated from an athlete's best six results, There is also a final results table for each category calculated from an athlete's best three results in that category. And today's fifth place for Zach means that he has now achieved third place overall against the best mountain runners in the world and also come second in the short uphill category, which rounds off a superb year for Zach with his fifth place, of course, in this year's European Championships in La Palma. Also, a big congrats to the classy, as always, Sarah McCormack, who since we last recorded um, has once again been up there with the very best in the world as she took second place to the multiple-time world and European champion Andrea Mara at the famous Smarnagora race in Slovenia. Sarah, of course, won the World Cup that we were just talking about in 2019. And finally, on the results section of today's podcast, it's not in the mountains, but what a run from Katrina Jennings to win the IAU, the International Association of Ultra Runners, their 50-kilometer European Championships in Spain today. So it's been a great weekend for Irish runners so far. As you heard there in the intro, guys, we're delighted to have Jason Kyo come back as sponsor for October through Jason's Sport and Injury Clinic, jktherapy.ie, based in Belgard Heights and Tala, just off the M50. Jason is a very experienced and successful mountain runner himself, so with his experience and qualifications in neuromuscular therapy, who better to help you get back to fitness if an injury has happened over the racing season? Jason was only just telling me this week that he's been doing a lot of biomechanical running assessments at the moment for runners who are maybe new to running and of course naturally want to try and remain injury and injury free and get faster. Something like 
a biomechanical assessment can also be great for runners who are seemingly stuck with unfixable injuries or who regularly pick up niggles or injuries and struggle to increase their mileage consistently as a result. And what Jason does is not the same as gait analysis in the shoe stores where they're trying to find a shoe to correct your foot strike issues. Jason looks at running from an overall movement perspective as well as general mobility in feet, ankles, knees, hip and spine. And he also gives out fully individualized and detailed reports with all the necessary corrective homework and follow-up. So do look Jason up guys on social media, online at jktherapy.ie. If you think you might need some help with any niggle, any injury, or are interested in those fantastic biomechanical assessment um, sessions, which of course would be a great present too for any running um, special friend or family member. Before we dial in, Rene and Luca, thank you as always to our Patreons. Thank you guys for listening and for your support of the show. And I hope you continue to get some good training tips and lots of inspiration from the great runners and members of the mountain and trail running community that we talk to each month. Thank you to Mick Stewart, uh, Marie Aronson, Storier and Aubrey Anderson and the 46k winner at Eco Trail, Wicklow and the Cloak, who all took the time since our last episode to sign up on patreon.com Trail Running Ireland podcast to become a Patreon. Thanks a million guys and if anybody else would like to support the show do pop over to patreon.com where you can help to keep us going. Okay, let's get cracking with some good coaching and training tips as always from our coaching guru, Rene Borg. Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rene, I always look forward to this time of the week where we get to chat about training, running, coaching the hills, the mountains. And I've missed my last two days of running with a bit of a cold. So all the more keen I am to have a little chat about running and coaching. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. So, and yeah, as well, just getting over Eco Trail. And um, I think as well, I'm lining up for a trail running holiday with a group of Danes for the next four days, you know, so we're going to show off the Wicklow trails to them. So I look forward to that. You know, it's a, it's, it's a nice bit of work to spend four days out in the hills. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose speaking of Eco Trail, Benny, it's that time of the season where I think the, the two of us and um, a lot of our listeners, we've kind of come to the end of the summer, early autumn racing season. A lot of the big races are behind us and um, both locally and internationally as well. We were over in La Palma at the European Championships. I was over at UTMB. Lots of Irish runners all around Europe, all around the world, racing and competing well. And then, of course, lots of big races on the Imre the too. So I think we were going to have a chat today, Rennie. Nothing too formal, nothing too official. Just to talk about, you know, where people might be in their training cycle. And that it's okay to take the foot off the pedal after a busy summer of racing and not to get worried and not to get stressed about not being in peak shape because I know some people get stressed out about you know when they miss a couple of days or when they're not feeling great all the time but you can't feel great all the time no not if you have, are in any way trying to peak you know and there are a few people listening who, who don't believe in it at all and there's been a few elites elites over the years I think Frank Shorter was one at least to a degree anyway that just try to always keep a balanced shape and never be very far off. Uh, so he really probably trained more like a, 
you know, a soccer player where you're trying to be in the same shape roughly for nine months, you know. Um, <laughs> but but for, for most of us, this is a change of the seasons. And for some, it has begun a little bit earlier and for some a bit later. You know, there's so much has ended international races like the Golden Trail Series, UTMB, um, our own big races here locally, like the, the Leinster League is over, the Irish Championship is over, um, our Eco Trail is done um people are you know our own client zone are thinking ahead to new challenges some are already going into training for 2023 some have said well we just need to get our road legs back on and go do the dublin marathon and then you have people like myself who are kind of slowly drifting into a bit of cross country um but exactly with that you know we people have different they're in a bit of a different state at this year as well I think I told you I was feeling tired after the World Masters and I was feeling a bit beat um, mm. in the bones and the body. And I thought I'll actually just take it easy because September is busy. And I think that's that's something a lot of people can do if they can combine busy periods in their work, which, you know, for, for you and I, Ecotrail would be that sort of period with a kind of a half off season. That's a good way to to kind of kill two birds with one stone. And then at the same time, when you drift into races like cross country, the first few here, I don't take that too seriously. You know, we had a very nice race on Sunday, um, but I definitely didn't feel like I was in, in, at my best. But I didn't, it didn't mind it one bit either. You know, I was very relaxed about the whole thing, which was actually quite nice and refreshing. So yeah. people are changing from out of the main trail running season now, no matter what. And the only decision really is, you know what comes next and i think what we didn't want to do today we didn't want to talk about the transition period again because we did i think last year maybe we can dig up the episode number for the for the outro on yeah but i for those who didn't listen in that podcast we talk a bit about if you're actually saying well this is it i'm going to restart my training start renew goal we have a little bit of a primer for what you should do for the first four weeks yeah but we thought it's more fun to actually talk about what is this whole off season and how is the uh, how how do the seasons change in focus? You know, because there are it's clear that it's the it's the early spring to the late autumn where trail running is at its peak, and it kind of really hits a crescendo over the summer months. Whereas yeah. cross country is a winter sport, track is kind of a summer like hill running, and road running is a little bit different. Depends on whether you're training for marathons or for the other road races. But marathons is kind of the big showcase, and they tend to as well have two peaks. You know, one in spring, and then one certainly here in Ireland. You know, around the Dublin Marathon at the end of October. I think one thing that I would say to people running around this time of the year is when they're planning for 2023, that, you know, people are probably busy online looking at all the different races that they want to do. And sometimes we can maybe be a little bit too ambitious where we might say, oh, next summer, I'm going to go for a hundred K or I'm going to go for a hundred miler. And what I would maybe tell people to do is advise people to do rather is just if you choose a race that you're planning on doing next spring or next summer, don't just pull the trigger in that instant, in that moment, as in book flights, book hotels, pay the entry free. Take, take 24 hours, take two days, and just see if that excitement, that enthusiasm is still there in two days' time. Because I think we can get an idea very quickly into our head and we might have had maybe a good race in the summertime and then we're raring to go for next season. And boom, we book something and all of a sudden we've got 100K um, on the cards for, for next year. 
But then a couple of days pass by and we're maybe, you know, maybe we've got a cold or, or maybe a little injury has sent in and we're thinking, oh, am I really capable of doing that race next year? So maybe just around this time, take your time, take your off season, you know, settle, reflect on the summer season and give it a week or two before going to book anything too big too soon for next year. Yeah, I agree with that because, but it, as of course, there'll be exceptions as there always is. Like some people feel they cannot really focus on anything, you know, without a goal hanging over yeah. their head. Uh, but at the same time, I think what you were saying there is that's actually a good thing. You know, if you actually have had a long season and you've trained hard, as what we are trying to tell people is don't be afraid to go out of shape a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't hold because it is hard work to keep the needle right up near the red all the time. And even professional athletes have an off season. So somewhere you need to find it. And of course we know for many athletes, their off season is when they get injured. Yeah, sure. And I've I've noticed that just Randy with a lot of friends that I'm talking to who have say just come off the back of their um, main racing season or start making a transition over to cross country roads or whatever, that it's over the last couple of weeks when people are picking up little niggles, when they're picking up, you know, little viruses and what have you, because their immune system is just totally run down and their bodies are tired after the hard racing. So it it is a couple of weeks where we need to be very, very careful of. A, A question that that I always see come up in many different forms, Renny, and it's always, I think, good to ask you this one. When people are beginning to, to start their, their new season over the next couple of weeks, the, the question always is, do I just do mileage base work for the next two or three months? Or do I add in some speed and maybe go and do some 5Ks, some short cross-country races? What, what's your thoughts on that one, Renny? Do you, is it best to go into October, November and just lay the groundwork for a good spring and a good summer? Or should we be going in and doing some speed work, some 5Ks, some short cross-country races? Yeah, so again, it's, it's kind of individual and it depends on your goals and, you know, it's, and how you're feeling. Like the, the cross-country season, I think to summarize what we've said in previous years, if you want to use the cross-country season, I would recommend given the length of it, you know, it goes from September all the way to nearly March for if you want to do most of it. it don't, don't plan to, to just be at your perfect optimal shape for the very first one. Just use the first ones to learn things. That's how we approach it down here. And that's what I try to tell the people in the club is that it's just to make you stronger. Um, it's to learn about tactical racing because there's a lot of things going on in cross country in terms of passing out, you know, much more than in a lot of hill races. Um, but it's a good strength builder because of the terrain. You know, it's heavy. So you, you, you need a lot of strength in the legs to actually move fast over it. But it's also different. You know, we did a few training sessions on the grass and even the hill runners were actually surprised how different that is. You know, it's it's very difficult to run fast on really heavy terrain like that. So it's it, treated more like that. It's 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 a different stress on your body. It's to build some strength and some tactical awareness for the season that comes next. But if you even if you want to win medals with your team and all these things, save your best form. You know, for towards December, January, or, or February. The, the, the challenge we have, though, and this is something this a debate has started again on the Imre Forum, is that with the hill running season, unless you have a very clear idea for yourself, you know, as a lot of our clients have, once they're done with their big hill race, they want to do the Dublin Marathon because for many reasons, you know, some because they think they're fit enough, some because they have the ticket, you know, as simple as that. So all we can do with them is just get them cleaned up basically after the trail running season 
get the, the little nickels out of the system, get them back on the roads and into a bit of a road rhythm to transition the fitness they have. We don't try and build any new fitness because there just isn't time. Um, and then we get that Dublin marathon over with for the trail runners, you know, who do that. And then they have a bit of a rest, you know, at least two weeks, but ideally a month. And we're not talking just on the couch for those wondering. Mm. It can be a bit of active rest in there. But, and then their real off season starts. But for other hill runners who, who look at basically the whole Imra calendar as their menu, the problem we have today is that it is pretty incessant, right? It's a bit like the football calendar. You know, it's just exploded over the last decade. And that means if you wanted to race hard, nearly every week of the year you could. Yeah. So there's a bit of sell. There's two ways you can approach that. The people who think this is a good thing, you know, and that they don't want it to change. They say, well, look, it's because I'm not actually that competitive. I just like to go out for hill races and I want to, do, to be able to do them year round. And as long as there are volunteers who are willing to do that, let's keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just a fair argument. If it's just your hobby, it's no different than going to play a game of cards every week. You know, then you could say, well, based on that way to look at it, maybe it's fine. But for people who want to be really competitive and have a few peak performances, if there is that much available, you have to think about what you want to include. Because mm -hmm. if you race hard in the hills in November and December, and then the winter league in January and February and March, and then this, the spring, sorry, the, the Leinster league straight off the bat, you will be asking your body to work near its maximum on the hills, you know, which is a specific demand the whole year round. And that's obviously very, very few people will be able to survive that sort of schedule. Yeah. And I think, Rene, from talking to some of the international athletes that we came across over the summertime, some of the international coaches as well, the, the common theme was that to be a good mountain runner, a good trail runner, you actually, it helps so much if you're fast on the road as well. And a lot of, a lot of the very top guys um, who are competing and are winning medals, well, there's two ways, Rennie, isn't there? Some of them are on the roads or doing cross country and whacking out fantastic times, but then others are actually doing totally different sports over the winter time, as we mentioned a couple of times before as well. And the, the French lady who won the European trail running off-road championships, she did, I think, schemo for a lot of the winter time as well as the wasn't it the Belgian male champion as well I think he was mainly a schemo athlete as well so you know as people are getting ready for the winter period and even thinking ahead to the summertime it's okay if they're not on the hills for October November December January it actually can be healthy and very beneficial long term if they're doing something else whether that's mountain biking schemo if you live on the continent somewhere or even some road running or some cross-country racing as well yeah, exactly. Like, and that what they are really embracing is the fact that obviously there's a great transfer from these sports. So they are able to just as great advice, you know, did in the the 80s and a lot of Norwegians do to to do something that benefits the running while at the same time totally changing the stress uh, for part of the year. You know, and and when we ask people to, even if they don't want to do that, you know, maybe they can't ski or maybe they're not comfortable with those sorts of exercises, um, you can still vary your running and there's a very good I, I have it somewhere i think it's back in one of arthur lydia's very early books like he goes through how the season used to be in new zealand 
And basically in New Zealand, he said they started with 12 weeks of cross-country racing and training. That was kind of the start of the season. And then they'd had eight weeks of road racing on top of that. Um, once that was done and they were kind of nicely well-rounded, they would do what he called his 10 weeks marathon training. You know, that's the famous 100 mile weeks or just a lot of volume where everything was easy and steady. And then they do four weeks of hill resistance and explosive work. And that's to get ready then for their track schedule, which was 10 weeks for them because they were track athletes. Ultimately, you know, they were training for the Olympics and then they had eight weeks where they were racing and holding their peak, including usually the Olympics or some other championship. So although we are not Olympians, we, we can see there was a tremendous amount of variation in that season, even for a guy who was, let's say, a dedicated 800 meter guy, a 5000 meter guy. So there's no real traditionally for hill runners. It was the same. You know, when the Imra calendar was a little bit more limited, I think it was very, very common that this is what happened. Like you focused a lot on hills for a particular period of the year. Then you had a lot of cross country racing, maybe a marathon. Then you did just training. Maybe you had a, a, the odd fun race, but mainly training for a period. And then you might have done a few road races again in the early spring. And then you had got started on the hill racing season. And that then creates that kind of variety. Um, and as you say, there are actually physical benefits in it. So if you can, unless you're the sort of person where if it's not on trail, you just can't tolerate it. Yeah. <laughs> and another great example, which we're going to talk to now in a couple of minutes, Rennie, is um, the winner of the Eco Trail ADK, Luke Grenfell Shaw, who, you know, only a couple of months before that tremendous performance in Eco Trail there last week, he had completed a 30,000 kilometer challenge on the bike all across Europe and globally as well, with the last couple of thousand kilometers at home in the UK. So again, he, he spent months and months riding a bike, but yet he was able to take the, the victory in such an impressive manner in Eco Trail. So once again, just another example of that we don't need to be running all the time to be very successful in the mountains. And um, one maybe last question, Randy, for you today. Around this time of the year, we see the pharmacies and the chemists and the supermarkets full of supplements, your centrums and your multivitamins and so on. And um, because, you know, the, the colds, the flu season, the, all the viruses are coming in. Is there any, any bit of research, Randy, you've come across lately or anything you've been um, experimenting with yourself as we come into the autumn and winter season that you might be taking on board and would recommend to our athletes yes there is um there's we've talked about it a little bit before but there's two things that the first thing is the most important by far is that the three things are the most effective and the three things are get outside sleep yeah. enough manage your stress levels and then you could say the next isn't free but it doesn't require you to buy anything artificial eat good food Okay, so good, good natural clean food. So th th that's kind of often forgotten because we jump straight to the second part. Like, what can we add? Because we're nearly assuming that those basics are correct. But first, get that right. Okay, because if you're relaxed, if you sleep well, if you're getting a huge variety of minerals and nutrients from your food, and if you're also not abusing yourself with stress and, you know, huge amounts of alcohol and things like that. Um, then obviously, no matter what happens, you're, you're already very, very well armed, right? You have an organism because the problem with supplementation is that you are, you can accidentally mess with the body's equilibrium because in, whenever we have get us, um, what we say, let's say a vitamin through the sun or through food, it comes in a combination with other things. 
And the best example of this is the, the two things that most people would recommend work really well if you have a tendency to get run down in winter, which is keep your level of vitamin C high. Yeah. Because we can't store it. That's a well-known fact, right? So you can't store it as a human being. It's one of the abilities that we lost. So we can store a little bit, but we cannot synthesize it from other things. That's something actually our ancestors, the apes, could do. So that means we do require it from our diet. And if you can't get enough from your diet, then maybe you do have to look at supplementing. And you can generally supplement with a lot more than you think. Because they, 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 it's a very safe vitamin because the moment you take too much, you will just get light diarrhea. That means the body can easily get rid of it if you accidentally put in too much. So it's very, it's very safe. The other example of that's on the good and the bad side of supplementation is vitamin D. Because vitamin D is more like a hormone. And we all know, I think, probably everyone listening to this call anyway, that the best source is to spend a lot of hours in the sun especially in the morning and the afternoon, you know, not right in the midday one necessarily. Um, and if you can get that vitamin D synthesis going over the summer, you will have huge stores that can last you a little while into the winter as well. If seafood is the other good source of that. So they, but unfortunately we live in Northern latitudes, unlike your cell phone. Mm. And a lot of us don't eat lots of really good, fresh seafood. Um, a lot of seafood that you buy that's cheap is drained of vitamin D because they drain the oil out to put it in pills to sell it separately. You know, it's better business. Yeah. So we, we often have to take vitamin D supplements. And this is the best example of when things can go wrong because vitamin D does hundreds of things, including beating off and making you more resilient to illness. But it also basically releases calcium into the body. Uh, and if, but that has to come with another vitamin called K2, which tells that calcium where to go. So a lot of people who overdose basically on vitamin D supplements, they can mess with the balance and then they start to get bone spurs and stuff like that because excess calcium deposits in the wrong places, like on bones and in arteries, which is actually very dangerous. You know, if you did that, you would have to do it in a fairly high amount now. So don't be alarmed if you've just been taking a few I pills. wonder, is that the reason for my heel spurs over the years? Any too much exposure to vitamin D here in the sunshine of the Canary Islands? No, you'll be glad to hear that the, the type that's created by sunshine doesn't have that risk. Good, good, good. Yeah, okay. it's, it's only when you take the, what it's called cholecyphoral, um, which is actually, you know, it's, it's, it's fine for humans, but it's actually quite, because of this calcium effect, it's also used as rat poison, believe it or not, because rats cannot defend themselves metabolically against that, whereas we can. But traditionally, basically the problem is that traditionally everyone got a lot of K2 from fermented foods, um, rich cheeses, things like that, mm -hmm. raw milk. So that means when there's enough K2 in the blood, this is never a problem. You know, you can take all the vitamin D you want and the K2 will tell it to go where it needs to be. But it's just to highlight that you need to know what you're dealing with. So if you're taking a supplement that you've been told is good for keeping you more resistant to illness, then you want to just read up a little bit more depth, especially if you're going to go high dose. Yeah. Because it's very attractive. Like all the research shows that if you have a very high vitamin D serum level, then you are way less likely to suffer any kind of illness. And if you have an illness, you're way less likely to suffer badly. Okay. So if yeah. you want to bring it up by all means, but make sure you get the D3K2 combination. Yeah. 
Okay, and lots of natural sunlight, Rene, as you said as well, some, some brilliant advice. One that I picked up on, Rene, over the last couple of weeks was that especially um, reading some of the blogs and interviews with some of the marathon runners in Berlin there last weekend, um, the, the, the fashionable supplement at the moment amongst some of the road runners seems to be magnesium for the yes. very positive effects that it has in terms of supporting the metabolism, reducing inflammation, enhancing the body's ability to recover, even improving sleep. And a lot of the top road marathon runners are taking this at the moment. And I know even say some of my very good Spanish trail running friends have been on it for years as well. I've never taken it myself. I never, I suppose, felt the need to, to take it. But maybe going into, into a tough winter period ahead where life is just going to be very busy, that might be a good one for people to research and people to try. I don't know if you've ever tried it yourself. Yeah, I take magnesium daily in a spray. Okay. Um, but I, I was kind of loath to mention it, Owen, because the moment you go down and talk about these, you can talk about quite a lot, you know, but, um, but magnesium is worth mentioning. But just to say before we say that, that we are most of us today, unfortunately, are deficient in most minerals. <laughs> yeah, the reason being that our soil is so stripped compared to the soil of our great grandfathers, right? So that there's, there's a study in the paleo, I think it was called the paleo diet for athletes It came out nearly 20 years ago, um, where they showed that there is 12 times less nutrients and vitamins in an apple today than there was 100 years ago. If it's an organic apple, it's a bit better, but it's basically because of over um, overzealous agriculture and reliance on pesticides, you know, rather than natural types of um, fertilization, things like that, you know, without giving a big old lecture about it. But that means most of us, because we also tend to eat too many processed food and not enough plants and fruits and, and meat and organ meats, especially, which are really rich on this stuff, um, mm. means we are actually low in selenium which is really important magnesium iodine you know iodine very very important and that was even removed you know they used to supplement it in the salt and sometimes in the water but that's they've actually taken that away which i think is one of the few times when they add something to the water where it's actually a bad idea because okay. iodine is something you only really get from fish you know so there, there is a whole raft of things that if you wanted to look into it you'd actually be shocked how many things you could probably top up on and that leaves you with well can we prioritize a bit here please so to do that magnesium is probably for an athlete right on the top of the list because it's an electrolyte it means it's responsible for proper firing of your muscle fibers especially the heart muscles so there has been a link between extreme physical exertion chronically low magnesium levels and heart trouble in races because that's for something to be aware of chronically low magnesium you need to be really low but that's possible yeah. will actually make your heart muscle not fire properly so you can imagine that's not so that's not a place you want to be in so yeah. it makes a lot of sense that athletes would take in a lot of magnesium either through food through sprays or through supplements or all of them together you know so and there's, there's really not a big risk in doing so either because the body is quite capable of getting rid of it yeah. Okay. Well, okay. You know, un unlike iron own to finish up on that, because iron is something a lot of people supplement with, but you need to be so, so careful because if you have a problem, you know, with iron reabsorption, for instance, it can cause enormous problems for your system. And yeah. so there's, there's some supplements you really need to do a bit of reading before you dabble, but magnesium is quite safe. 
Okay, well, listen, Rennie, that's all been fascinating and we could go on for another 20 minutes, but let's call it a day um, at that for today's episode and maybe just a quick summary and you can add in anything if I left anything out. Um, at this time of the year, Rennie, I think it's safe to say it's okay not to be 100% in tip-top shape and to be comfortable not being at your very best because the form will come back and maybe just hold off before booking that big super race for next year. Give it a week or two until the body and the mind set and then of course just in terms of any supplements that can help us get ready for attacking the new year forget about the supplements for one second and just make sure you have good sleep and get out and see the sunshine natural sunshine avoid as stress as much as we can and maybe even dabble in a bit of magnesium (laughs) is is that a fair enough summary of today's uh conversation Randy? happy with that yeah yeah get in those epsom salt warm baths for the winter <laughs> okay but well, listen enjoy your weekend out in the fresh air of the wicklow mountains Rene. i should look forward to talking to you next time all right oh take care all the best bye Our feature interview this week is one that will inspire and motivate and I'm sure will help us get through any little tough patch that we might be experiencing at the moment. It's the winner of the 80k in Ecotrail Wicklow last week, the incredible Luke Grenfell-Shaw. Luke, you're very welcome to the show and Luke, firstly I have to ask, how has the recovery gone since that great day in Bray last week where you had such an impressive victory over 80 kilometres in Ecotrail Wicklow? Well, I couldn't really walk afterwards. I think I crossed the line and um, within about sort of 20 minutes, uh, I I was like hobbling around like I'd sort of aged about 70 years. And uh, <laughs> what was actually worse than the run was there were some ice baths uh, like in the sort of finish area. And I went into an ice bath for five minutes. And my goodness, it was about 10 times worse than the run itself. It was excruciating. Um <laughs> So yeah, that that was the most difficult thing about the day. Uh, but my legs have been sore for about a week, just some easy running. Um, but you know, it's about ten days on, and the the legs feel pretty much back to normal now. Good, no no structural damage or anything like that. You're you're good to go again for a new training block, hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, listen, Luke, I mean, it was wonderful to see you um, cross the finish line and, and you moved us all so much, Luke, with your victory speech that day, telling us about your victory in the race. Um, and not only that, but your incredible victory over cancer. And for people that weren't there at the finish line, do you mind telling us about the time when your life was flipped upside down, but thankfully you've come out on top and you've gone on to do some incredible, incredible things. Yeah, so, well, funnily enough, this also starts with a trail race. I was doing a trail race out in in Russia. It was my first ever ultra. It was 50K. And again, like, I couldn't walk the next day. I, I was on the sixth floor. My apartment was on the sixth floor. I literally, like, went down the stairs on my bum because uh, I just couldn't <laughs> lose my legs. Like, my hip flexors were shot to pieces. Um, but, you know, I was 24 years old. I was pretty fit. And I had one small problem. That's I had this aching left shoulder. I ignored it for months. And long story short, I eventually saw a doctor in Russia. They were like, Bonjour, moi. like, what is going on? They're like, oh, my, oh, my goodness. Um, I went back to the UK and the doctors did some tests and they said, Luke, you've got cancer. And it's 
it's really aggressive, it's really advanced. Uh, it's spread to your lungs. And basically, we don't think you're going to see Christmas. That's incredible. I, I can't imagine the, the shock that you must have felt, um, both you and your family. Um, how did you manage to, 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 to keep, keep saying, Luke, to keep it all together? And, and not only just keep it all together, but to go on and battle it like you did and yeah, to come I, out fighting and just absolutely bury it into the ground like you have done. Well, I, I've been very lucky, first off, or I've been very fortunate. Um, but, you know, it was it was devastating because our, my body had let me down. Like, I just didn't understand how this could have happened to me. I was, I was 24. I was young. I was, you know, really fit, really healthy. And it was like the rules of life had just been like completely scrubbed out and everything that I thought like the way that life worked everything I thought about that it just got shattered and since then I've realized that there are no rules to life and we kind of just construct this environment where we feel like things happen for a reason but sometimes just really bad stuff happens and there's no there's no reason for it. Yeah, and just, and just so the listeners, you know, try and can try and imagine or understand what you went through. A, a month after you had that diagnosis, your, your brother had a tragic accident as well in the Lake District. So you're not only dealing with your own cancer diagnosis, but the, the terrible, sad news of what happened to your brother. Um, I, you know, devastating period of your life. But you, but you fought it all and you came out and... Um, and you came up with this incredible challenge of wanting to, to cycle around the world, Luke. And, and even I think before that, you, you know, you had you'd got back training. You, you, you weren't going to sit around and let cancer take over your life or, or the tragedy that happened. Your, your brother, John, that, that wasn't going to mean that you were going to just stay at home and be sad and, and upset forever and ever. You, you, you kept on going. Yeah. On the day that I was diagnosed, um, two things happened. Um, one, my dad took me out for a run and I'm, I'm from Bristol. We went running on the downs. It was a very beautiful, sunny day. We were looking over the suspension bridge and my dad said, look, uh, the fact that you've got cancer and you're probably not <laughs> going to die soon is, as a father, like the worst thing that I can imagine. Uh, but there's not much I can do about it. Uh, and there's not that much that you can do about it. But you do have a choice over how you live these next three, four, five months. Like you still got that choice. You can't control when you die, but you can control how you live. Yeah. And yeah. that is exactly the attitude I tried to take forward, that I wanted to make the most of the time that I had. And it was incredibly precious. And I also wanted to do everything that I could to put myself in the very small percentage of people who are still around in a few years time. And for me, that was massively through exercise and was also through thinking about my diet, obviously chemo, surgery, radiotherapy, that's incredibly important. But I, I was I was cycling in hospital. I, um, I went for walks with, um, with my like chemo drip. Uh, I tried to keep as active as possible because I knew it was gonna be helping myself. And then the ride, as you talked about Owen, that is a kind of continuation of that. It's showing what is possible with cancer. And that was at the heart 
of my ride from Bristol to Beijing. Yeah, it sounds like maybe your your running and your sporting background really helped get you through that time because it was like nearly you just put a, a new training plan in place where, you know, every day you might go for a five minute walk, a 10 minute walk, build it up, build your body up again, just like you had got an injury. And this was the worst type of injury you could get in inverted commas. But you just built your body back up again, like you would any setback in, in, in a sporting career, perhaps. And that mindset maybe helped you. And if anybody's listening that has any friends or family that are going through the same thing, you know, that type of mindset might, might help them just to treat it like an injury and just build your body back up as much as possible, as much as you can. Yeah. And, and keep active as active as you can through that time. So it wasn't just a case of building up afterwards, but of course, when you're going through treatment, you feel tired, you feel sick, you don't, you're not gonna be running quick 5Ks, 10Ks or whatever. But I always say doing something is infinitely more than nothing. And, yeah. you know, for people who, who, who have friends or family who are going through cancer treatment right now, don't wrap them in cotton wool. Encourage them to do a little bit. And a little bit is so much more than nothing. Even if that's walking up and down the corridor a few times to the end of the road and back, doing something will be so, so beneficial. And, and I think that's physically and mentally. You know, the, yeah. the, the power of the mindset of thinking I'm helping myself, even though every single bit of, you know, dog poos hit the fan. Um you know, yeah, yeah. It, it completely changes the way that you think about yourself and you think about the challenge that you're dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, people might set a challenge, maybe Luke, of a, to run a 10K in three months time or to run maybe even a marathon, you know, uh, in aid of cancer research or a charity in six months time or 12 months time. But you chose to cycle around the world, <laughs> a 30,000 kilometer cycle. Again, just to try and understand, to, to get in underneath the lid, so to speak, where does that mindset and ambition come from? Where most of us going through that, you know, we'd be delighted just to get through a 10K. Um, but you decided to cycle around the world and to have the, not only but the, the, the ambition and the energy and motivation to do it, but the, the project management to do something like that, Luke, that's not just, you know, hop on a bike and go cycling. There's so much planning um, and logistics involved in something like that. So much energy needed for something like that. So what, what made you cycle around the world? Uh, well, quite possibly because I'm, I'm a little bit unhinged. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's part of the answer, or, or maybe in fact it's the reverse. Uh, because when, so I said two things happened on that day I was diagnosed. One, my dad gave me this advice. The second thing is, is that I realized that if I was going to live my dream that I'd had since I was about 15 of cycling around the world, well, you know what? That couldn't be that couldn't be later anymore. You know, I'd always assumed I'd do it after I finished school, after I graduated from university, after I'd got a job, bought a house, had kids, blah 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 blah. Always later, and I realised like this is my one chance. Like if I don't do it now, I'm never going to get to cycle around the world. I tell you what, that's a pretty good motivator. And I was like, this is my dream. I want to see so many different countries. I want to meet people. I want to have an adventure, and. Um, and that's what I, I set out to do. And um, yeah, it was an absolute logistical challenge because it, it also happened during the pandemic. 
Yeah, sure. Well, I think the the message there for anybody that's listening in, Luke, is um, you know, hopefully now nobody has to go through cancer or anything like it for them to be inspired to go out and follow their dreams and achieve their dreams but it's very much they live in the present isn't it and if you want to run the new york marathon if you want to run in chamonix and utmb or go and see whoever in concert don't wait five years to do it you know do it now while you can while you're healthy and make things happen and live in the present rather than always wishing wishing for something in the future maybe yeah, no, absolutely. But I'd also just say everyone's dream looks different and every dream is absolutely as as valid as any other. You know, mine was Bristol to Beijing. Like, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. You know, yeah. like you've got to follow what's inside your your own heart. And as you say about living in the present, 100%, I agree with you. Like my personal philosophy now is like today has got to be worth it. You know, what I'm doing today has to be something that makes me excited and um you know i also completely understand that some people are like well it's just not that simple well i I also think there are going to be small actions that everyone can take to make the way that their life is day in day out that little bit better to what they want and whether that's taking five minutes less time on your phone to just go for a little walk or appreciate the view or um you know spend a bit more time with family or kids or you know an extra run whatever it is um we can all make small changes i think did did you have to keep up with the treatment while you were cycling around the world luke or were you able to pretty much go out there on your own and just get cycling every day so i had i had chemo i had surgery i had radiotherapy um that all happened before i started the ride Um, But when I started the ride, I really did not expect to finish it because I just thought, you know, the next scan result I had or the one after that, it was going to tell me that the cancer had come back. You know, it's difficult to articulate that now because I'm here and everyone's like, oh, well, of course he's here. Well, no, like that just wasn't the situation. Like I'm so fortunate to be alive right now. And it's not what I expected. Um, what were the highs and lows of that bike ride, Luke? And I suspect, you know, that you could very well fill a book or, you know, hopefully we might see a film about it someday. But even just give us a flavor of maybe yeah. one or two of the high points. And I'm sure there were some very tough days as well. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I am writing a book and making a film about it. So, you know, there will be many more. But um, for me, one of the big high points was relatively early on I was in Turkey and I'd spent the winter of like so this was sort of 2020 the back end of 2020 going for cycling across Europe during the pandemic and no one wanted to join me uh the borders had kept on closing I got COVID I recovered that was in Romania and I got to Turkey and I was wondering you know what am I doing is this journey even worth it um and it was on a tandem bike. That's the other thing that's worth saying. I, I lugged this tandem bike around Europe and basically no one had sat on the back because, uh, you know, just it was it was COVID. People didn't want to spread Corona. They, I was some weird traveler. Now, in Turkey, for the first time, I was joined by a guy from Turkey. He was a dentist called Sinan. He was cycling with me. And he's he's a, a crazy cyclist. He cycled 500 Ks in 24 hours on a Brompton. I mean, who does this? um the incredible guy but there was this one afternoon it it was uh, January 
in Turkey in this uh, city called Duja. And we kind of entered the city and there were like 40 cyclists around. And there were two tandems, two more tandems. And it was the local cycle club who had heard of this cycle and they decided to come and join us. And we were just cycling on the road. I had Sinan from Turkey on the back of my tandem. We had a whole group of people from Turkey on their bike cycling. And I was just like, this, this is what it's about. It's getting people together, it's cycling together. And for me, it's showing what's possible with cancer and spreading that message. And that was that was an absolute high point. Brilliant. And I'm sure you must have been a little bit scared maybe when you got COVID after going through what you had gone through. I'm sure that was maybe a dodgy couple of days as you were battling COVID. Yeah, luckily it didn't. I was very fortunate. I didn't have particularly severe symptoms. Um, and, and I think actually my attitude has changed a bit since having cancer of like, I think a lot of people saw COVID and they're like, you know, take cover. I don't know what's going to happen. I need to preserve my life. And actually, I almost had the reverse attitude of like, hey, I, I've already faced death. I need to I need to keep on living. You know, I'll take the risk, you know, yeah. um, and not, not in a not in an unsafe way. But I was like, I'm still going to keep on traveling, but do it responsibly. Um, but yeah, I, I went shopping that the, the, when I realized I had COVID, I bought a bar of chocolate, uh, dark chocolate from Lidl in Romania. And um, took a bit of it. And I was just like, God, this tastes like chalk. Like, you know, little of really, they, they, their standards have slipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I realised. <laughs> no, there's something else going on. Um, now that you're back, Luke, after the 30K cycle, um, and we'll look forward to the book and to the film to get more and more details of that, because I'm sure there are so many stories and so many anecdotes. Can't wait to see it and read about it. But now that you're back from the cycle, has life got back to relative normality again you know with a typical day job and um, squeezing in the running training and we'll get to that now in a second when you can and just entering races like like eco trail yeah i am um, i'm still working out what normal life is because i was very fortunate that i you know i spent uh, the last two and a half years on the road really and i was you know, I, I was doing talks, I was doing podcasts, blogs and stuff um, and supported by two sponsors. So, you know, I was able to make that my my life and my job, um, you know, and now I'm writing a book and making a film, uh, you know, and I'm doing some teaching alongside of that, which is the sort of the, 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 the bread and butter bit of my my days. Um, but yeah, I um I, I'm still trying to work out what normal life is really and what I want to be doing with it, because um this is a time that I never thought I would see I suppose so I'm like okay I'm not keep I'm not still cycling what, what's really important for me to do now and uh, what, what are the opportunities yeah and um, how important is is running and training and Luke within that and you know going out to races like eco trail and putting in a good performance and um, is that in any way close to the top of the priority list at the moment or or is is it just a nice bonus um I wouldn't say talent that you've discovered that you have after eco trail you know that that running ability was always there but what we saw in eco trail was that there is an incredible talent there and um, so how important is running training and perhaps racing and um, how important is it at the moment 
Yeah, uh, running is a huge part of my life. Uh, and it's one of the things I enjoy most. And, you know, if you were if you were to ask my girlfriend, you know, she would absolutely say, you know, like it is the most important thing because without running, you know, I'm a miserable git. And that's absolutely true. Like um, it is my passion. like us all, Luke, like yeah. us all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, speaking to the converted here, um, you know, so it's a huge part of my life. And it's probably the thing I prioritize most of my day. If there's, you know, if, if I've got one hour, you know, that I'm. I've only got one hour to myself, like it's running that I would do in it. Um, you know, and, and I just love trail racing. I've, you know, I, I started off with road racing and triathlon, but for me, trail racing and, you know, the, the eco trail Wicklow was beautiful. And I think in those, I think I said on the, the finish line with you, uh, when I'm racing, I just don't want to be anywhere else. And I think that's the most powerful motivator to know that of all the things you could be doing in the world, I'm exactly where I want to be, doing what I want to be. So it doesn't matter how long it takes, you know, like, because it can seem quite daunting, right? I think at least, you know, like four hours, eight hours, 12 hours plus to do a race. But if you're like, actually, I know it's a long time, but do I want to be looking at my phone right now? You know, do I really want to, um, you know, be going around an, an art gallery. Yeah, those things are great, but like, this is where I want to be. And I feel that's a powerful motivator. So yeah, no, I, I love running and it's just, it's a huge, huge part of my life. And um, just in that couple of seconds there talking about running, Luke, I, I've just observed that you haven't mentioned the word competition once. You didn't mention the fact that you won Eco Trail once there. So, so I'm amazed with, with that mindset because I'll, I'll be honest, Luke, I am such a competitive runner. You can put a, a snail beside me and I'll be happy to be <laughs> a snail. <laughs> you know? um, so you, you, you have this incredible aerobic base, perhaps, from that 30K cycle. And I might ask you about that. Do you think that that 30K cycle has actually set you up now, has given you such a massive aerobic engine to power you on to do these great things. And again, just to, just to push the point on the competitive side of things, Luke, <laughs> um, you know, did, did you enjoy the glory and winning um, in Eco Trail? And, and does it make you hungry for more? Um, it's a really interesting question, this, because, you know, I've done some road racing before, I've done triathlon, I have been very competitive, at least in spirit, um, if only marginally in results. Um, uh, but now I think my perspective has shifted to one more of like enjoyment. And I think that shift in perspective is really important. And I was thinking about this prior to the interview. I was thinking like actually having a smile on your face is probably the most important painkiller or the most powerful painkiller that you have. And like doing something because you love it is probably the biggest factor in determining your success more more or less so you can argue putting a bit more pressure on someone will gain a bit more performance um you know so yeah I love I do love racing I do love the competition um I'd be lying if I said I don't enjoy um you know uh kind of crushing a few runners when I have the chance but um <laughs> it doesn't happen very often so most of the time I'm looking at other people's souls um yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well you, you certainly weren't in Wicklow about 10 days ago. And, and Luke, tell us about the, the, the race itself, Eco Trail Wicklow. I, I think yourself and Ricky, you know, pretty much broke away from the rest of the field from the very, very start. Um, 
and then you broke away from Ricky. And in the end, I mean, Ricky is one of the country's top trail runners and you took the win by about 48 minutes. So <laughs> maybe just briefly, if you could just talk to us about those 80 kilometers and did, did, you, did you enjoy being in the lead or did you feel the pressure of being hunted perhaps by Ricky? Yeah, well, I remember in the start line, the, I think it was you saying, oh, there's a, there's a world record holder here. And I was like, mm, my <laughs> yeah, like right. this is going to be, this is going to be interesting. Um, and we got to about mm, seven or eight K in, I think. And I didn't want to go off too hard, but also like, I love to open out my legs. I love to feel like I'm running and not shuffling. And I just felt like I wanted to run. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I might I might completely blow up by halfway but you know at least I'll, I've done this race my way um yeah. you know and I, I've always to answer your previous question I've always had a really good aerobic engine like much more than out and out speeds that's why I've never really I think shone too much at like 5k or 10k um but I've always known since the age of about 14 that I was going to be most suited to the long distance stuff and it's only now that I'm beginning to kind of explore it a bit more now that I'm a bit older so I'm I'm super super excited to see where it goes and um yeah the, the Wicklow race itself was um I remember about halfway on the reservoir kind of thinking okay my legs are a bit tired now and because that's flat there's no let up and I was like am I going to be able to sustain this and um you know, you just stay in the moment. You just kind of keep on smiling and thinking this is great. And, you know, if, if Ricky came past me, that's fine. You know, like um, he's he would be having a fantastic run and I'm running my best. But I mean, if he did come past me, I'd work bloody hard to make sure he didn't put any distance between us. But um... OK, well, there, there's that competitive <laughs> spirit that I was looking for. Um, but for the listeners that are that are listening in, Luke, do you think um, that cross training on the bike can actually help them with their trail running career. And like at the moment, as you start back into your maybe new training block, yeah. will you be going on to the bike? Maybe not to tan the bike. That you did the <laughs> in. But will you be using the bike as well as doing lots of running? Or now would you just completely go back to running and, and see where it takes you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a place for cycling, adding in a bit more aerobic, uh, you know, uh, conditioning into your into your training a bit more aerobic work without the impact i think that's um that's really valuable however ultimately you know if you want to be good at running you run a lot and that's the, that's the key so you can use a bit of swimming or a bit of running um, a bit of cycling just to complement it um so i will be doing a lot of running but you know what i was thinking about this you know i didn't do a single session before the race like i was literally just doing some easy running and uh, you know maybe doing uh, 50 60 miles a week but still nothing too crazy um so but i think on race day i just sort of enjoy switching it on and you know i enter a bit of a bit of a bit of a different headspace and it's just it's fun and i'm perhaps a bit more competitive than i'm letting on as well like it's it's quite fun to lead a race yeah well i think that's fascinating what you mentioned there luke that going into eco trail you hadn't done any speed work, any real tempo sessions that you were able to take the win just off aerobic base work, really, and lots and lots of mileage. And, you know, that's probably reassuring for a lot of listeners who maybe are going through an injury or an illness or a sickness that there's no rush to get back doing speed sessions or tempo runs and hammering yourself that especially in this code of running in trail running. Once you're just out in the hills and out in the mountains, getting the miles in, getting the hours in every week, that can sometimes be enough to produce a really good performance. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I love about trail running is that on the race, on race day with these long races, you've got like, you know, two, three, four hours before it starts to get painful because you're only running, you know, four thirty, five minute Ks, you know, something like that. You know, it's not high pace running, whereas in a 5K or a 10K, you know, you're you're working really hard from about five, five minutes in, you know. And so I think there's a much greater capacity to just enjoy where you are. And it means that, you know, you don't need the same level of speed work, though probably when you come to these top performers, uh, they, you know, they, they probably do some really good speed sessions as well and they could smash a good half marathon. So, yeah. Um, any desire to get onto the roads, Luke, again, and try and chip away at the road times? Or to be honest, I think sometimes on the road, it can be a little bit frustrating and annoying just looking at the clock all the time, looking at the watch all the time, because there's always going to be somebody that can run faster and probably minutes faster than whenever we can on any given day. But it is a nice challenge sometimes as well, just to mix it up. So any desire to get onto the roads? Yeah, well, I think um, for me, ever since I've been diagnosed, my, my mindset has shifted, right? That like I want to do something that first and foremost I enjoy and I love. And for me, that's become trail racing and I want to do a, a load more of it. And I think that's going to give me a really good base of fitness that hopefully if I do a road race is going to translate into some quick times and that would be great. You know, it'd be great to see some quicker PBs. Um, but as I say, the most important thing is just to sort of enjoy what you're doing and, and love it. And um, I think that can get lost in the competitive side because um, having experienced it before and it's, it's a hard balance. It's a hard balance, isn't it? Yeah, well, well listen, um, Luke, it's been brilliant to talk to you today. You've inspired me. And to be honest, you inspired me the weekend of Eco Trail Wicklow because I was feeling a bit under the weather. I was on antibiotics that week and uh, wasn't feeling great. And I had um, a, a club race on the Sunday morning just after Eco Trail. And I wasn't going to go, to be honest, but um, I had a chat just with, with my wife, Jennifer, and she was saying, oh, go for it. And and then I was just thinking about the likes of, of yourself that was there in, in Bray that day. Um, you know, if you got through 80K and had such a good time and finished with such a smile on your face after everything that you went through, Edna Cloak, who won the 46K, he won the race with a with a bad hamstring. So I, I said to myself, listen, you know, if these guys can do all that, here's me just with antibiotics for the week, a bit of an ear infection, I can get out and try to do what I can in the club run the next day. And I did go out and I really had a great morning. So that was just one little example, Luke, and I'm sure you've inspired so many people over the last year or two and will continue to do so. Um, Luke, if anybody would like to just look you up and help you out with any of the charities that you have been working for and, and cycling 30,000 kilometers around the world for as well, um, what charities are you helping out, Luke, at the moment? Yeah, well, first of all, Owen, you smashed it. You did 14.55 or 5K, so kudos like, on all that antibiotics. <laughs> Mate, that's all. I, I wouldn't have done it without the inspiration of people like yourself that weekend. <laughs> so thank you. Um, yeah, but to answer your question, um, so raising money for four amazing cancer charities, uh, um, the Teenage Cancer Trust and Young Lives Versus Cancer, they helped me massively through my treatment. Um, and then there's 5K Your Way and Trek Stock. And these are charities that get people moving with cancer. And I so wholeheartedly believe in these charities because they're just they're just awesome. Uh, and it's something that massively helped me, of course. Um, so if anybody wants to support those charities uh, through the fundraiser I set up, then if you go onto the Bristol to Beijing website, so Bristol number two, 
beijing.org, bristol2beijing.org, then you can find the donate page there. Any donations make a huge, huge difference. Um, so thank you so much in advance. And if anybody wants to follow what I'm doing in the future, which probably will involve some trail races at various events, I saw those is it westville your your guy who's also on this um waterfall yeah waterfall down oh, in waterfall. Kerry. Yeah, that's a great yeah. way um yeah, yeah. It's a great so, trail running country down there yeah it sounds great so uh if anybody wants to follow what i'm doing then you can also go like bristol to beijing on instagram or facebook and there's there's things happening there Brilliant. Well, listen, good luck with all of those projects, Luke. And hopefully um, one of the big brands or sponsors might pick you up as well because you're a sponsor's dream, a top bloke and a, a great talent as well. And I look forward to enjoying yourself on the trails, but also seeing you compete, hopefully, with the very, very best out there as well. It's, Luke, it's, it's been an absolute mission. pleasure. Cheers. My mission to show that you can both perform at a really high level and enjoy it at the same time. So. And keep on smiling. Absolutely. Take care, Luke. Cheers. <laughs> That's a wrap for this week, everybody. Thank you to Luke and Rene for their great conversation this week. And thanks to Jason over at his sports and injury clinic, jktherapy.ie, for supporting this episode of the podcast. Have a super weekend training, everybody. Have a super week and good luck with all your race planning for the next few months. After listening to Luke, hopefully you'll all be inspired to dream big. And with the help of people like Rene, Jason, your coaches and support crews, those dreams can become a reality a quick reminder to pop over to patreon.com to support the show guys if you like what we do here to help keep the podcast going but only do so once you've got your run in for the day everybody let's get our running gear on let's go (laughs) 